0: Welcome to Axios Prorata, a podcast that gets you smarter, faster on the collision of tech, business and politics. I'm Dan Primack. On today's show, Jack Dorsey tries to douse the Twitter fire and the death of a media mega merger, which could have changed the face of local news. But first stopping the surge of Uber and of other ride-hail companies, at least in New York City. Gotham City Council yesterday voted overwhelmingly to cap the total number of ride-hail cars, at least temporarily, in an effort to reduce congestion on city streets. There were also some other related measures passed, including one that kinda sorta sets a minimum wage for ride-hail drivers. And all of this is the result of a political battle that's really been playing out since Uber first appeared in New York in 2011, pitting taxi drivers on one side and the ride-hail companies on the other. For the cabbies, it's basically about the falling value of their medallions and tons of new competition. So for context, there are only around 14,000 yellow cabs in the entire city. Uber alone has 60,000 active cars, and other ride-hail companies have another 20,000. And for the ride-hail companies, their primary argument, and the one they kind of lost in city council, is that they provide convenient transportation to city residents, and if public transit were better, they wouldn't be so popular. If New York City really wants to open up its streets, they'd argue, the city council would introduce congestion pricing. Why all this matters, for those of us outside in New York is that what happens there could happen elsewhere, changing how all of us move around in cities in terms of car availability and what we're paying for them. Yeah, New York is unusual because it licenses ride hail vehicles, something that most other cities don't. But if it proves successful in reducing congestion and raising driver wages, then we could see other cities figure out how to follow suit. If these measures fail, on the other hand, it could be the final nail in the coffin for yellow cabs. We're joined now by Josh Gold, an Uber Public Affairs executive who helped run Point on the New York City campaign. So, Josh, basic question here. Why do you guys lose? There's a lot of
1: parts of this package that we uh, actually liked or we didn't oppose. And so people are focused on the so-called pause or cap piece of the bill. But there's 22 pages over five bills. And a lot of that package is legislation that we worked closely with the council on over the past three or four months. And a lot of it got to a much better place than it was originally in. And so it was a setback to see that 12-month pause, but there are plenty of opportunities for us to continue to grow our business in New York. There are 40,000 licensed for-hire vehicle drivers who don't work with any of the uh, the major apps here in New York. And while we would have strongly preferred that the legislation not include this 12-month pause, we believe that there was additional loopholes or holes in the bills that allow us to continue to grow. And part of that goes to the campaign that we did run that called to the struggle that outer borough New Yorkers are feeling.
0: Correct me if I'm wrong. Basically, the way the thing got passed yesterday is if you guys have data or can show and your data is open. So if it shows that people in the outer boroughs, if rides significantly decrease, the cap can be raised, correct?
1: Yeah, basically uh, over that 12-month period, if the outer boroughs that have become to rely on us more and more as a subway system continues to have serious issues. If that demand continues to grow and we are unable to meet that demand with the current crop of four-hire vehicles that we dispatch to, the TLC can issue new four-hire vehicle licenses. But beyond that, there are tens of thousands of four-hire vehicle drivers and vehicles in New York that we used to recruit from that group three, four, or five years ago. Then we started to encourage new drivers to come into the industry. We can go back to those drivers and that group of drivers who work for traditional car services and ask them to give us a shot and continue to grow our business.
0: So you're right. So we. Are- are, as you said, we're focused on the parts you guys lost, not the parts you guys are happy about. So I'm going to keep doing that. So let me focus on that first part, which is the cap. From your perspective, you guys kind of fought something similar to this a couple of years ago. And you personally once worked with de Blasio. Why were you guys not able to stop this? This thing passed and not only passed, it passed overwhelmingly.
1: I think it's a different time. I think uh, people wanted to see some sort of uh, action. Unfortunately, editorial board, civil rights advocates, experts, almost everyone really agreed that the action that the city should be taking is pushing congestion pricing. And I think uh, many people are still hoping that this fight brought the need for a real solution to light. And we had a lot of the same support we had three years ago, allies in the outer boroughs, civil rights leaders, editorial boards, and many economists and transportation advocates. And their voice has been clear and consistent. And it's an opinion we share. Comprehensive congestion pricing is the way to reduce congestion in manhattan it is also the way to fund the crumbling subway system and unfortunately this kind of distracts from that and this is not a real solution to that problem and three or four months from now when new yorkers see that the streets are still congested and that the subways still do not work we're going to be there in albany hopefully advocating with the speaker who supports congestion pricing and maybe the mayor can come on board to get this done because that's the way to solve the transit crisis in new york it's a comprehensive congestion pricing where everybody from an uber to a taxi, to a personal vehicle, to a truck, pays to use these congested roadways in Manhattan.
0: Last time around, and correct me if I'm wrong about this, but one thing you guys did was you kind of uh, put your app in New York City into, quote unquote, de Blasio mode. In other words, they were kind of like these tricks inside the app, which basically put pressure on politicians because riders kind of bombarded the mayor with rider support. You guys didn't do that this time. Why not?
1: We did an education mode this time. We did two different education modes. We wanted New Yorkers to read the bills or read parts of it. We wanted New Yorkers and people to open the have to see what the editorial boards and the experts were saying. And we wanted to engage in a real policy conversation because we believe and we still believe that the best way to do this is congestion pricing and that this cap that was thrown onto a package of bills that were innovative and uh, had some progressive thought to it was just unnecessary and harmful to our New Yorkers. And that got responses. There are thousands of tweets sent to the council. There were tens of thousands of phone calls and emails that went to different members. And I believe if you look at that vote, if you look at the members, what they were saying when they were explaining their vote, they all were pointing to this opportunity that the TLC has to, if service struggles, in the outer boroughs, we will, the TLC, our regulatory body here in New York, has this ability to add more licenses.
0: Josh, the other piece of this that you guys oppose is the quote unquote minimum wage here, which is 1722 an hour, as I well, said. Or, or am I wrong? Sorry. Did you guys not oppose that? There's
1: two parts of that bill, right? So there's that part and there's the second part. I think we have a, a a real concern with the second part of that piece of legislation that allows the tax and limousine commission to set fares for riders without regards to how much a driver gets paid. That is anti competitive and that if there are protections, and we'll go back to the first part of the bill which is about the minimum wage If there are protections with regards to minimum wage, there should be no need for the government to set how much we charge our riders. We should be able to compete on that with our competitors in the app industry as well as in the traditional industry.
0: You guys said that the minimum wage piece could raise costs for riders. Why would that be the case for you guys?
1: The minimum wage piece... Is a ninety page proposal that the Taxi Limousine Commission put out a month ago that it's actually a, a minimum per mile per minute that's based on a utilization rate that each app has. There are some tweaks to it that we'd like the TLC to uh, consider. But you know, we've called that an elegant sort of solution that doesn't allow for free riding. It's not an hourly minimum wage. I think we're defining it the wrong way, and that would be something that would be concerning for an independent contractor workforce.
0: You mean it would be concerning for Uber, the workforce would be thrilled. It would be concerning for uber well
1: i think it would be concerning for new yorkers if you could turn on the app not do any trips and get paid a certain amount of money because i don't know how that would work
0: well if not doing any trips correct but the assumption would be you're working just like if you're being paid per hour to store you have to be at the store
1: yeah i mean that's not what the bill does i mean i'm happy to talk about theoretical but the actual proposal of the tlc put in place is a per mile per minute trip formula, the per mile side handles expenses and the per minute side handles getting you to $17.22 per hour. But it's done on a per trip basis and it's based on your app's utilization. And we have great utilization and we're going to continue to work on great utilization. But in the 90 page document, the authors of that study say there are multiple ways that platforms like ours can fund that. One is through increases in utilization. That's definitely something that we are going to be focused on, making sure that drivers have more passengers in the back of their vehicle. The other is through a reduction in the amount of money that we're able to take. And the third is a fair increase for passengers. So that is not something that I think is disputed. That's in the study itself. And so, you know, I think uh, if you look at that piece of legislation, it really just points to the taxi Limousine 80-page study. And that study has this formula that doesn't allow for a hourly minimum wage. It calls for a per-trip, meaning a per-mile-per-minute standard that we believe is uh, with some tweaks is something that we can thrive with here in New York.
0: Within 12 months, do you believe there will still be a cap on the number of ride-hail vehicles in New York City? I hope not. Will fares in New York City go up in the next 12 months for Uber? It remains to be seen. Josh Gold, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. And now it's time for my final two, leading off with Twitter. The social media giant has been under fire this week for not deleting the account of right-wing conspiracy theorist and nutritional supplement salesman Alex Jones, even though he's been booted by iTunes and YouTube and Facebook and even Pinterest. That's right, Alex Jones had a Pinterest account. Now, Twitter's also on fire from the right for these lingering accusations of something called shadow banning, which we discussed on the Tuesday podcast. So co-founder and CEO Jack Dorsey is beginning to do the media rounds, beginning yesterday on Sean Hannity's radio program.
1: We haven't done a great job of communicating our principles, the guidelines that, that help us make the decisions in the first place. So we're getting better and better step by step, but we have a lot more work to do there.
0: Specific to Jones, Dorsey basically says he hasn't violated the company's terms of service since those new terms were rolled out, which is kind of threading the rhetorical needle a bit tight. He also claims it's the job of journalists on Twitter, not of Twitter itself, to correct misinformation. But the truth is that ignores how such misinformation is often shared on something like Twitter, which is inside this filter bubble where a lot of users only follow people who think alike, which lets misinformation proliferate. Hopefully Dorsey will give this a little bit more thought and do a better job next week during other media appearances, which Axios reports will include ones on NBC and CNN. And finally, Tribune Media today called off its takeover by Sinclair Broadcasting, which would have created America's largest local news company. What's particularly interesting here is that the deal pitted President Trump, who supports Sinclair, against his own FCC chair, Ajit Pai, who claimed that Sinclair may have provided his agency with false information. The bottom line is that Trump has a lot of influence over his appointees but it seems he doesn't necessarily control them. And for Sinclair, they now don't control local TV. And we're done. Big thanks for listening, whether on Apple, Radio.com, or other platforms. And to producers Adam Grassi and Tim Shovers, be sure to follow us all day at Axios.com and sign up for my ProRata newsletter at signup.axios.com. Have a great National Book Lovers Day, and we'll be back on Monday with another ProRata podcast.